A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my hosts as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is... To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are we good? Back in the home studio, things are sounding crisp. Sibilance. Check one, check one. I like that. I just had some cheese and I know my breath smells bad, but don't care because no one else is in here. The one silver lining of this pandemic is that I've been able to eat cheese without the worry that people will judge me cheese breath. Let's normalize cheese breath. Right? All right. Start it. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. What up, peeps out there in the uh, podcast world? Hope everyone's having a wonderful day. I feel like I'm, I feel like vaccines for me are right around the corner. I feel like I'm about to get that shot. And then guess what? Your boy's going to go black out at a bar. I don't know. It's going to be a while from now. But I was over at my buddy's house a couple nights ago, who's a phenomenal musician. And we were talking about it. And like, you know, early in my career, I went to like three or four shows a week when I was doing radio. It was just kind of part of the deal. Like, I know you wanted to have your finger on the pulse of what was happening in Nashville. And, you know, it was also one of the perks is that I was a 20 something kid and I got free tickets to everything because I would talk about the show you know, before and after on the radio. And there was a time in my life in which, I mean, I loved it, but there was a time in life I was like, oh my God, I got to do another show. I can't, I can't die. And now what I would give to see live music, I would go see terrible bands just to be like, I'm back in a bar drinking a beer. I go see like a children's musician. I go to Rafi right now at Hotel Cafe and just get blindly drunk and love every second of it. I just miss live music so freaking much. It's ridiculous. Speaking of on the show today, we've got someone who is actually putting on a live show, which is hard to do these days. So you got to do it with Zoom and all this crazy stuff, technology. You need some high-speed internet. Elon Musk probably needs to be involved, be sending down some internet. I don't know how it works, but I know that he's got an awesome live show coming up. And listen, I know, I, I think, I believe we are about through this like you can't go have fun anymore time. But till then, my guest today has a really cool idea of how to actually experience some live music. Can you get blacked out drunk on your couch and still see the live music? Yeah, you can. He's figured it out. Doing a live show from Nashville, my old stomping grounds coming up on March 12th. We'll tell you all about it in a bit. But first, I'm gonna do the whole thing where I like, like get you ready for it. This guy, one of the most successful American Idol non-winners in the history of the show. Yeah, he is. He was on season five. That's going way back, right? He's a multi-platinum, Grammy-nominated musician. Before going on American Idol, he was a service advisor at a car dealership in North Carolina. What? Gotta hear about that. But he's not just a musician. He's an actor as well. He's been on CSI New York. He played Judas in a musical TV movie. What? He was on The Masked Singer, got second place. And he's one of the most beloved people to come out of American Idol. His record sales speak for themselves. On the Wells cast today, we have the one, the only, Chris Daughtry. Guys, this is a show 
you do not want to miss. I promise you. Stick around. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts yeah back on the wells cast very excited to have i believe one of the most popular american idol people ever on the show but he's done the thing that a lot of reality people struggle with which is take that 15 minutes and really build it into this amazing career chris dotry thank you so much for being on the show i've oh, been a, thank you for having me been a big fan of yours for a while and i guess i didn't realize that you were a nashville guy i used to live there i was a radio host in nashville for years first of all thank you thank you so much uh but we we moved here about I guess in July to be five years. So it still feels kind of new to us, to be honest, because we're we have so many kids. We're always home. We don't really get a chance to to be out in it. Um, we live slightly outside of downtown, so we're not in in all the uh, the craziness. But uh, it's cool. It's it it's uh, it, it kind of reminds me of where I grew up in North Carolina. Um, as far as the landscape of it all. Real quick, because you're a Nashville guy and I was a Nashville guy. What's your go-to hot chicken? I haven't eaten chicken in no. two years, three, <laughs> almost three years. 
I, I kind of stay away from the meat, man. All right, smart move. Not because yeah. of the vegetarian thing, but because of the diarrhea that comes the next day. So good call <laughs> on that. Yeah, there, there's, there, there was that as well, yeah. Yeah, I saw that you're doing Daughtry Live from Nashville. It's going to be a virtual show on March 12th. People can buy tickets at gigs.live. I was looking at your Instagram and you were kind of showcasing what it's going to be like. And yeah. it's so dope, dude. But it also is like a little Hunger Gamesy to me. It's so Hunger Games. <laughs> it's so like, it. I was in there and I'm like, holy shit, we're really in the future here. Like <laughs> one year ago, if you would have told me we we're going to be doing a show in front of screens and you're going to be talking to the fans and they're going to be talking to you, but they're going to be in their living room may or may not be wearing pants. We would have just thought it was the craziest shit we've ever heard ever. And, you know, here we are and, and it's super bizarre. We did a we did a live stream tour, just me and my guitar player back in the fall. And that was even weirder because it was just in front of a camera, but we didn't see anyone. So there was no it was like crickets every, after every song. And uh, we just had to finally like say, you know what, screw this. We're going to have fun. Me and you, and then if they if they see that, that they're going to have a good time too, because it, we realized that we were really dependent on the audience reaction for us to like have a good time. Like this is back asswards. It should be we're having a good time, therefore you're enjoying the show. Not you're enjoying the show, so I'm going to be better at it. This whole year has been a learning curve for everybody, trying to figure out how to do your job differently, um, and that was certainly a a weird one. But this this feels like it's at least a little more connected where we get to see faces. I don't even know if they're going to be watching the show. It might just be pre-recorded faces just, <laughs> <laughs> just to make us feel better. I was talking about it leading up to calling you and I miss going to see live music so much. And like yeah. the weird stuff too, of like the chats that you have outside with like the chain smoker that you haven't seen in a while in between sets <laughs> and like the blacking out and like forgetting to close your bar. Like there's like a lot of like little intricacies of like the live show that it was this event and it sucks that we've been robbed of it for this past year. And it's cool that you guys have figured out a way to somewhat bring it back to what yeah. we remember. And it's so funny too, because I think as a person in the audience, you forget how the energy is looped between the audience and the artist, because the artist oh, yeah. gives the fans energy and then the fans give it back to you. And it's like, you're on this cyclical loop of energy together. Yeah. And you're hearing them sing the songs sometimes louder than you are. And and that's like an unbelievable feeling. And if we do that now, it's going to cut out the feed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's every, all the sounds going to drop and we're going to lose our place. Um, <laughs> it's it's a weird. And, and I saw like the flaming lips were doing like bubbles where everybody was even the crowd was in bubbles. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, how is how does that work? Like, how do you prevent someone from like completely blacking out from <laughs> from exhaustion and heat and it's just a weird we're living in the jetsons like we're there yeah especially because the flaming lips fans are already out there and weird you know like i the fact well, the that, band the, the band the singer has always done the bubble thing right yeah. like that's a thing for him i don't know i don't know if i could ever do that the the mass singer was like the closest thing i came to like singing in a bubble and that was i i almost passed out every every episode so no thanks on that. I think we'll we'll stick with the screens until we can get back in in front of people. I haven't seen my band in over a year, other than the two people, the two band members that live in Nashville. Like it's it's been like a weird time loop. I don't know about you. It feels like someone just turned the dial and here we are. We're in 2021 and we're still not in front of people. I don't know when it's gonna change. I don't know. It's I think that you've figured out like a, at least a good something for everyone to go do. And again, yeah. March 12th, you can be a part of this Daughtry Live from Nashville. Uh, grab tickets at gigs.live. Are there like tiers? Like, like are some people getting to like ask questions or be more interactive or like how does this yeah. work? I don't know how they're selecting it. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I don't know how they're selecting the fans. But they're, however many fit on those screens, that they'll, they'll be selected. I don't know if it's the first 
so many people that bought tickets or, or how they're doing it. That's out of my hands. Yeah. But there'll be fans. <laughs> what I'm saying is there'll be fans. And I think at the end of the show, certain fans, I don't, I think it might be a tier where they buy into the, I don't know if they're part of the fan club or what. I should know more about this as I'm saying this. I should know more. <laughs> That's what I'm realizing. <laughs> but yeah, there's going to be a Q and A, and um, yeah, it's it's cool. And and in some ways, like this is uh, probably a little more interactive than you know if they were to see us on stage somewhere because there is no Q and A. There's no like in the middle of a song, you know, talking to you know so and so. Sometimes there is, I guess, if they're they're interrupting the set. But, um, <laughs> which has happened. It's a trade-off, right? Like you get to experience it differently. You get to be in your own home. You don't have anybody spilling beer on you. Um, unless you just have that drunk uncle <laughs> over and he, he's just lost it and he's out of control or brother. It doesn't have to be uncle or sometimes mom. Sometimes mom just had too yep. much. I don't know. Well, I'm rambling. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really cool thing. I think that this is the best because I've, I've talked to, to a lot of people who have been doing the live shows and the, the small live showcases and stuff. And I think this is the best executed thing that I've seen so far. Well, and thank you. if you're just like wondering if this is something you want to go do, go to Chris's Instagram at Daughtry. And it's like the like the third thing you put three posts ago is a really cool like showcase of what the stage looks like what the backdrop looks like, and then like what the fans will be looking like looking back at you guys. I don't know if you remember when the NBA was in the playoffs or whatnot, everyone was kind of stuck in Orlando and they had put TV screens where the seats were and everyone was just sitting there watching it. It's kind of like that. So it's a really cool thing. Yeah. Complete disease-free yeah. uh, atmosphere. <laughs> Unless drunk mom's next to you and then who knows what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah. I saw you got some new music out, and the new song that you've got out is World on Fire, which I was reading about it, and, and that was kind of like a, a nod to the Australia fires. Yeah, when we originally wrote it, um, Scott and Marty, my producers, when we were writing that song, it started out as, um, you know, we were just kind of on Instagram looking at, you know, the, the fires that were taking place, and the George Floyd thing hadn't happened yet, but there was certainly no shortage of police brutality going on even then. I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it was uh, Ahmaud Aubrey or Breonna Taylor. It was just like one bad thing after another. And I remember we were, us just saying, man, the damn world's on fire. And we're like, that's what we got to write. And we were going through, Scott had this, this uh, folder. And uh, I don't know, can I swear on this? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Perfect. He had this folder and we were, he said, I got a few like riff starts here and there. Just let's listen to it and see if anything like inspires us. And I saw this folder that said fresh as fuck. I was like, let's play that one. <laughs> and it was, it was the opening riff, literally the opening of, of what you know as the song now. And I was like, that is what we need to work on. And it just kind of started writing itself. Uh, we were just talking about everything that was was wrong with the world. And then fast forward to, because this was in January, fast forward to like two months later, and we we're all scratching our heads like, how did we know? <laughs> like, holy shit, like the sickness is rising. Like there was no sickness going on. And, um, you know, 20 dead in a cop car bleed, like all this stuff, we were like, oh my God, it was like we had a crystal ball or something. And, uh, I didn't want people to think we were just writing about, so we kind of held off. We didn't we didn't release it right away because I didn't want it to sound like, "Hey, look at what we wrote. This is uh, what's happening right now." But it felt very apropos for the first single, for sure. I know that there's a new record on the way. I wonder this not just for you, but like for every musician that I've interviewed. The stuff that comes out after this year has got to be. The most sad bastard, dark, like <laughs> deepest Ryan Adams lyrics ever. Is that is, is that what's gonna come? It's absolutely the deepest shit I've ever written in my career. It's the most introspective that I've ever written for sure. It's definitely God. I don't want to give too much away, but it's also probably in some ways the most hopeful. There hasn't been a shortage of things to write about and. This year has been, I think, transformative for so many people and, and forced us to really look at ourselves and, and face our own baggage and bullshit. And I think this record has been extremely therapeutic for me 
I just finished vocals on it last week. We're getting the band on it. Like it's the record is actually happening, but I, I feel like at this point, if we release it, it'd be like throwing a ball out to just an open field and just falling to wherever. And we're, we're like, we can't go out and tour on it. We're trying to figure out when it's coming out. I don't know yet, but we are going to be releasing a new single very soon. So I can say that. Um, and we just put up uh, a limited edition vinyl of World on Fire and Side B is the next single that we have yet to tell anyone the title of, but I'm super pumped on it. Be shooting a video on it uh, this weekend, actually. So yeah, there's a lot of lot of stuff going on, but hopefully we can actually get out there and support it at the same time. You know, I talk to a lot of musicians and they're putting stuff out, and I'm like, this is tough because it's expensive to put out music, and when you can't recoup by selling merch and touring behind something, then if I was a businessman in the, in the music industry, I'd be like, you just got to hold off until people can go yeah. to festivals. So I applaud you it's, for like sticking around, waiting for it. It's that double-edged sword. Like, you know, we're all running out of new things to listen to. So we're like, we feel bad for the fans yet. We're like, but we got to, you know, pay our bills too. And holding on to it might not be, um, I don't know. It's like we hold on to it and you're doing nothing. You at least release it and something's happening. So, um, yeah, it's it's a tricky, tricky thing to navigate. You did uh, Mass Singer, you the Rottweiler. I've had a bunch of people from Mass Singer and Mass Dancer on the show. And my thing is this, is it smells so bad in there or do they Febreze it before and afterwards? Oh, it's the worst. It's awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you ever did you ever play any sports in, in yeah. high school? So like I, okay. so I so like locker room smell. So you, did you ever play football? You ever smelled the pads? Yes. yes. <laughs> and it like day one, it was like, mm, this has been used <laughs> by day by day, like seven. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, I don't even know if they made Febreze when I was in high school. But <laughs> so it just it just kept getting worse. But that's how it was. It was like day one. I'm like, ooh, but well, it was a little different because it wasn't like used. Uh, football gear yeah. it was new to me so everything in it was my fault like I, <laughs> I caused every smell in this thing by like third episode I'm like hmm this is this is getting tough to deal with they would try they would Febreze it they would sit it out in the sun probably let it air bake I don't know it was uh it was right luckily they they did their best they did their best to try to air it out and make it a little more livable that was a lot of information about smell, by the yeah. way. No, Sorry. I loved it. Last question about, about Mass Singer. I, I heard that you chose the Rottweiler for a reason. Yeah, so when they approached me to do the show, they had like three or four different costume options. And I was like, I'm going to have to just go with the Rottweiler because I have a connection to, to a Rottweiler. I, had, I got bit by one when I was like 14 or 15. My mom watched this, this blind lady took care of her a few days a week helping out stuff around the house and she had this rottweiler and she was like oh chris this is the sweetest dog ever don't don't be afraid you can come over here and pet her the very second i reached my hand out this dog jumped up and snapped my leg and it scared the living shit out of me ripped through my jeans barely scratched the skin i'm not gonna try i'm trying not to be too dramatic <laughs> barely scratched the skin but it scarred my soul for life <laughs> like it was terrifying this dog's head was like the size of my head on the show it was it could have ripped my leg off if it wanted to i don't know if it was scared that i was getting too close to its owner and and didn't trust me i don't know Maybe it was the 90s jeans. I don't know. Maybe it didn't like baggy jeans. I don't, I don't really know the motive, but it bit me and it scared me. And I never touched that dog again. And I don't think I've pet a Rottweiler since. So it was me embracing and, and facing my fears, uh, much like Bruce Wayne became, a, became Batman because he was terrified of bats. <laughs> I like that. Okay, I'm running out of time with you, but I want to kind of flip over to like my portion of the show. I don't know if anyone told okay. you, but this is an origin stories podcast. So I like to find okay. out where people like came it. from and how the hell they got here. You down? Yeah, I'm so down. All right, quick break. When we come back, Chris Daughtry tells us where he came from and why the fuck he is on this show. Stick around. <laughs> I'm 
a new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back in the Wells cast, have uh, Chris Dotfi on the show. He's going to be doing a live show from Nashville, which you can... Uh, virtually be a part of it's coming up on March 12th Buy your tickets over at gigs.live. I want to know, you know, obviously there isn't a whole lot of information about you pre American idol. So where did mm. you come from, man? Grew up in a uh, small, small, small town called Lasker, North Carolina. I don't think it was on the map until after I was on American idol, to be honest. I think it was a town of like 900 people, uh, one stoplight, no, I think it was 100 people, um, actually. But um, it was like one street. I was around music all my life, but never really um, never really showed an interest. I was always into art, Batman. I, was, I wanted to be a comic book artist, actually, way before uh, I ever picked up a guitar, even though my dad played guitar, my granddad played guitar, uh, was around music, but never showed any interest, other than like singing along to the radio, didn't really give a shit. The 90s hit and I started getting into, my brothers started turning me on to like, you know, Metallica, Black Album, and this band called Live, this Throwing Copper album. He was like, oh, you got to listen to this. And I remember kind of blowing it off at first and bands like Soundgarden and Stone Temple Pilots, I, I got really heavy into them. But 
there was this album called Throwing Copper that I kind of kept going back to and listening to. And the more I listened, the more I became obsessed. The more I listened, the more I wanted to sing like this guy. I got really obsessed with Ed Kowalczyk from live and, and his voice and his songwriting. And I, I wanted to learn how to play guitar. I had a friend in high school who played and he was, I remember him playing like um, in class one day, he had his guitar and we, we were kind of fucking around. We didn't have anything to do. And he started playing, I think, Fell on Black Days or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's the shit I'm into. My dad played country music, wasn't really into that. So it didn't really appeal to me to ever pick up a guitar. And so I was like, oh, you got to show me some chords one day. And he kind of showed me a few chords and I surprisingly picked it up relatively qu quickly and started kind of learning the songs that I was into. I remember singing in front of him one day, kind of like sheepishly. And he was like, dude, why aren't you doing this, man? You sound like Tracy Chapman. And I love Tracy Chapman. I was like, oh, cool, man. I think it was just my, you know, singing with hesitant. Yeah. <laughs> it had the, had, the, had the tone, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And he had a band, like a cover band that he was one of like six members. And I was like, he was like, dude, you need to come sing a couple songs with us one night. We play this like open mic night at like uh, cafe something and, and by the way fast forward i'm not in north carolina anymore i'm in this is 94 95 96 probably i'm in virginia near charlottesville virginia where my parents moved to for jo a different job and i moved there in 94 started getting into music like i said early 90s so now we're in like 96 and i'm learning how to play guitar and i'm singing at open mic night i think it was even like a Dave Matthews song or something. And I think we even threw in a little live and something that, that catered to my voice a little bit more. And I kind of started just writing my own thing. I, I was doing a few weekends with them here and there. And then I was like, I think I want to start my own band. I had my buddy that lived with me. He was learning how to play bass the same time I was learning how to play guitar. A friend of mine in class said he could play drums. So we're like, Okay, we barely know how to play our instruments. Let's uh, let's let's learn together here. And we uh, used my buddy's garage that told me I sounded like Tracy Chapman because uh, I didn't have a garage. I lived in a double wide trailer and nowhere to practice and cause noise. So um, uh, my friend Robert Nesbitt was gracious enough. His family rather was gracious enough to let us uh, suck really bad in, in his garage. We were playing nothing but live covers. Secret Samadhi album, top to bottom. <laughs> like, it's only live. This is what we're doing. <laughs> it was self-indulgent on my part. It was like, I, I'm the singer. This is what we're playing. And then I started writing really bad songs. We would perform those. We would refine them over time, and they were listenable. Didn't have a whole lot of depth lyrically we did a full-on demo around 98 99 and uh, we were in a band called cadence and we started getting in the circuit we started playing the charlottesville circuit opening up for bands that were were more well known than us and charlottesville virginia at the time was hopping with original music nobody was playing covers so it was perfect for us because we we were we were like we got our shit. We, we were writing new new stuff we were writing our own stuff we didn't want to play covers out in public. We wanted we wanted to get signed. I didn't know how to do that, but we that's what we were going to do. So we started opening up for well-known bands in the area, and we, we got on uh, opening for this band called My Dog Lucy, which fast forward to now, the guitar player from that band is now the guitar player for Daughtry, uh, Brian Craddock. We opened for this band called Earth to Andy, who was really blowing up in the area. They, they had just got signed to Giant Records. They had toured with you know, Stone Temple Pilots and open for Aerosmith. And we were like, oh shit, we're next. And we started playing for crowds. Like I think the most people we ever drew was like 300 people, but it wasn't our crowd. It was somebody else's that we were opening for, but we took it as ours. We got on like the late night, 91.9. It was a radio station in Charlottesville, college station, local station that would, that would interview bands at like midnight. And we were like, oh, we made it. We're, they're playing our stuff, but it's at midnight when nobody's listening. <laughs> and um, <laughs> then it just felt like we were spinning wheels. Fast forward years later, I moved to North Carolina when I met my wife. We broke up. Me and the band broke up because it became too, too much for me to go back and forth to band practice playing you know, for nobody. And then I started another band. 
and that didn't really do anything. And then I went on American Idol, and uh, the rest is history. So I feel like I'm, I'm pretty sure I missed a lot of in-between stuff, but it was a whole lot of spinning wheels in that, in that amount of time. It was like 10 years of playing for the guest list. I heard that there was a competition show that was before American Idol called Rockstar in Excess. Yes, yes. So I did that. I went and auditioned for Rockstar in Excess. I was living in North Carolina, went to Charlotte to this little club and had like a one-on-one audition with the producer. And I did um, Desire from U2. Okay. And and Never Tear Us Apart from in Excess. Brought my guitar, played. It was in a club, like full on, like open mic night at a, at a club, did the whole interview. And I was pumped. I was like, oh, this is the moment. This is a rock show. This is it. And uh, months go by. I hear nothing. I hear nothing. And I finally, I'm like reaching out to one of the producers. I'm like, hey, uh, like what's happening? And they told me, they let me down easy. They were like, we actually think it wouldn't be good for your career to be on this show. Maybe not in those words, but it was something like, we think this would hurt you more than it would help you. And I just thought they were being nice. I'm like, well, that's a nice way of saying, you know, you, you're not good enough or, or whatever. I, you know, I was green. I didn't know what to think. I was like, all right, well, no big deal. There was a moment like, oh, it's over. But then I, I was watching the latest season of American Idol at the time. And I remember seeing it wasn't just a bunch of pop singers anymore. Like Bo Bice was on there, Constantine Marulis, and it was the year Carrie Underwood won. And I remember thinking, like, I mean, maybe they're more interested in being diverse now, and, and maybe something, maybe there is room for someone like myself. And I went and auditioned. Well, I was supposed to audition in Memphis. I'm living in North Carolina at the time. I was going to go audition in Memphis. That was going to be the closest audition. Then Hurricane Katrina hits. They canceled that audition because the, the FedEx forum where they were holding auditions was used for, for, you know, people that lost their homes. You know, people were having, they were using them, to, uh, using it to, to house thousands of people. And the next audition would have been in Denver, Colorado. And I'm like, that's a long ways away. We're broke. We're like, that's a, that's an expensive flight. And my job raised money for me to fly to Denver, Colorado to go audition and I flew out there. I'd never been, I don't think I'd ever at this point, never traveled away from my family. And I'm out there by myself at Bronco stadium, five 30 in the morning in line, thousands of people, right? We, we go, we take a ticket and we get seated in Bronco stadium. It's like 9,000 people. They call you up by, I think, I think, I don't know, let's say 10 people at a time. And you're, there's like 10 different producers and there's a line at each producer and they call one person up at the same time from that line. So it's like 10 people singing at the same time. I think we're spaced out a good, let's say 10 feet apart. And so you can hear the person next to you singing and the person to your left and you got the producer in front of you and they're like giving you like 10, maybe 30 seconds. Depends on, it, it changes from singer to singer. And I remember it's my turn. And I'm like, I just got to be loud as fuck. I got to be louder than everybody else. And I went up and I sang, I put a spell on you, CCR's version. And I just went up and I walked up and I just went, I put a spell on you. And everybody like stopped and looked. And I was like, uh, I don't know if this is a good thing, but I just got everybody's attention. And the guy was like, you're in. And I was like, okay, cool. I didn't realize the process at this point. So that was round number one. Then I got to go audition the next day. I got to go do a bunch of paperwork. Then I got to go audition the next day for what I think is going to be the judges. Nope. It's the executive producers. And I did the same song and they were just like, eh, it's a little too raspy for my taste. Maybe when you uh, audition for the judges, do something a little, little, uh, I don't know, a little, little uh, more recognizable, like the letter from Joe Cocker. I was like, oh, so this, oh, does this mean that I get to do this again? Like, oh, yeah, you know, you made it. I was like, what the f-? <laughs> Once again, auditions were thrown off because of the Katrina thing. So what would have been the next day auditioning for Paula, Randy, and Simon, I had to fly back home and come back, I think, a week or two later to audition. So a week or two later, me and my wife fly back out. 
and I do the audition for Paula, Simon, and Randy. And we all saw how that went. But right afterwards, like I, I walk outside and I see Simon because he gave me some shit in the audition. But I kind of felt like, I kind of, like, I felt personally like he's, he's like testing me, like, like kind of keeping me on my toes. So I saw him getting ready to get in his car and I walked up to him and I was like, I'll prove you wrong in Hollywood. And he shook my hand. And he was like, you do that, Chris. I was like, oh, snap, he remembered my name. <laughs> and uh, so we fly home. Me and my wife are celebrating. We're super stoked. They add a new audition location to replace Memphis because that got canceled. And it's in my f***ing backyard. It's in Greensboro, North Carolina. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? But at this point, I had already made it. So it was perfect because the producers were like, hey, since we're going to be literally like 15 minutes from your house, this is a perfect time to do like some backstory B-roll. And I'm like, oh, snap. So it was perfect because now I don't have to, to wonder if I'm going to make it to Hollywood. And, and now they're filming extra stuff on me, which usually when I see this, that means this person is going to go far. So I'm thinking all the thoughts start flooding in. I'm like, okay, this is all a good thing. And they're like filming my kids. They're like filming me playing air hockey with my kids and um, walking around, packing my bags like I'm going. It was crazy. Um, and this was all like coming from playing to 20 people at brew balls in burlington north carolina yes that is a real place i'm not kidding <laughs> brew balls sounds like a disease but it was a, it was a place that allowed me to play and i'm very grateful for brew balls and blue gator to the guest list to like all of a sudden i'm about to go potentially be away from my family for months and that's when i wrote home before i even left to go um i wrote that before i'd even experienced what it was like to be away i wrote that song so um it was uh, it was an interesting. Um, I mean, it was run and gun. I had never experienced anything like that in my life, and I'm singing every day. Uh, we're up at like sitting on the lot for hours doing nothing, and then we'd be up till like midnight rehearsing. This was all in Hollywood week, and I was just blown away that I was able to keep my voice that long. It was rigorous. It was. It was definitely um, the most work I had ever done in music up to that point because, you know, band practice is a bunch of dudes that don't know what the f they're doing. And we're just like, yeah, that sounds great. That's going to be a hit. <laughs> and, you know, 20 people here, you know, <laughs> but um, it was it was crazy. It was fast and furious. And all those years of playing in bars to no, you know, to hardly anyone there and and that that feeling of not not verbal rejection but that feeling of like you know I'll take the 20 people it's it's somebody it it prepared me a, a great deal for you know the the actual verbal rejection of mm, that was just okay I did the groundwork for sure um and a lot of people don't realize that that I spent that many years playing and begging bars to like let a, let our band play or or come play for 20 minutes or let me bring my guitar and play for a hundred bucks uh, for three hours of covers, you know, like that was all the homework leading up to that for sure. That story is not a unique one on this show, which is uh, overnight success generally takes decades. Absolutely. I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm let you go. Does but your I shirt say Nashville? Is that a Nashville shirt? Yeah, it's actually a nice. 605 show. And I didn't. Sweet shirt, man. I didn't do this because I, I, I didn't think you did. It, it felt very organic. Yeah. Or else you would have taken your jacket off and went, eh? Yeah, hey. <laughs> Project hey. 615, you ever heard of it? <laughs> exactly. I still don't have a 615 area code. I'm still rocking the 336 North Carolina. Well, I'm out in, in L.A. now, and I'm the only one that's got a Nashville number, and I'm I'm sticking with it. Well, I, I never changed it when I lived in L.A. either. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I'm running out of time with you, so I want to be respectful of your time, but I feel like we could talk about this for hours Forever. on end. Yeah. Forever, days even. Before I let you go, do you have time for some rapid-fire questions? Rapid-fire, let's do it. Here we go. Rapid-fire questions with Chris Daughtry. Number one, what's always in your fridge? Always in my fridge, almond milk. One thing on your bucket list? Bucket list um, to be in an action movie. What animals do you wish you could talk to? Goats. <laughs> Why goats? 
I grew up with goats, uh, so I've always had this this affinity and and like I feel like I do have a, a weird Zen connection with goats whenever I see them. <laughs> that, that's the best answer we've gotten for that one so far. Uh, would you rather be rich and sad or poor and happy? Poor and happy, always. Physical trait you notice about someone you are attracted to? Uh, but how would you describe your high school self? Um, let's. Physical, let's and eyes. Let's go with eyes too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, did you go back to butts? Uh, non, non, non-physical soul. That's yeah. that. What was your next question? Sorry, I'm cutting all that out. You're just getting butts, and that's that. <laughs> You're just getting butts. <laughs> what did I say? Uh, how would you describe your high school self? Probably overconfident. Who's your childhood hero? Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Celebrity crush. Kate Beckinsale. Did you have a poster hanging in your bedroom wall? Did I or do I? <laughs> Both. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally thought you said, do you? Um, yes, I had, uh, I had Lionheart, Jean-Claude Van Damme poster in, in my bedroom. And do you now? <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. Honey, this is not going anywhere. <laughs> this is the one thing that's staying. Uh, first concert you ever went to? The first one I went to, I don't really, it was like a buzz fest, like a bunch of bands, but it wasn't like, it was, it wasn't anything memorable. My first memorable concert was live throwing copper 97. Oh, no, no. Secret Samadhi uh, 97. I didn't get, I wanted to see throwing copper, but it was, it was Secret Samadhi 97. That was the tour. I actually, funny story. I won tickets to that show by calling the station and begging them if I, if they let me sing a live song, if I could sing like Ed Kowalczyk, could I get tickets? It wasn't a contest. They weren't having it, but they were like, this is going to be good. <laughs> and, and I picked up my guitar and I played Turn My Head and they were like, hold on just a second. And they put me on hold and next thing I know I had tickets and then they played it on the radio. And my, my brother was high-fiving me. I got us all tickets. It was great. What was the first record or cassette or CD you bought? Too Legit to Quit from <laughs> MC Hammer. And last and it was cassette. Last one. When you win a Grammy, who will you thank first? My wife for her eternal patience. Yeah. And for allowing you to have Jean-Claude Van Damme's picture and in the bed. On the ceiling, right above the yeah. head. <laughs> uh, everyone, go buy some tickets to Dontry Live in Nashville, March 12th at uh, gigs.live. Follow Chris Dontry at just at, just at Dontry, right? Well, so my personal is at Chris Daughtry, and then the, the band that does all the official news is at Daughtry. Either one, you're going to get the link at some point. Very cool. <laughs> World on Fire is available now on streaming Woo-hoo! and Spotify and all that kind of stuff. The new record's going to be coming out sometime soon. Is there anything? Sometime soonish. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about or promote before I let you go? No. Um, World on Fire is the current single. New one's coming out soon. And keep your eyes peeled on our website and, and Instagram for there's going to be a lot coming real soon, Fast and Furious. So keep your eyes open. Very cool, man. Hey, thanks for taking the time. Um, hey, thank you, man. So good to talk to you. Yeah, this was fun. Everyone, uh, go get your tickets right now to Daughtry Live in Nashville again, March 12th. Dude, thanks so much, bro. You rock. Thank you, man. Be well. Take Later. care. Well, he was awesome. Honestly, I think I asked four questions and he gave us 45 minutes of just him talking. That, that's amazing. Those are the best interviews where you just sit back and you say, all right, you, you take it. He might be a guy that we need to bring back on because I need to hear more of the story. Like I want to hear more about right before American Idol. I wanted to find out like more about like his wife. He had like a normal job and then went on American Idol. I want to know like what her perception of all this was because he went from just being a guy to being famous. Yeah, we need to get him back on. That was really fun. Super nice guy too. I love good interviews, dude. This is annoying probably for a lot of you to hear, but I love... He is, yes, he's a musician and he's very talented, but he's also a reality TV star whether you want to believe it or not. And I love interviewing reality TV stars because guess what? They get how production works and they give you what you need. I don't know if that makes any sense, but if you go back and you listen to any like the really good reality TV people we've had on, we had like Vinny on or even the first episode we did with Derek, Dean, and Jared, like those guys give good interviews because they had to do that. You know, you had you sit in front of a camera, you got to give a good interview. That guy's cool. All right, go rate, review, five stars, all that kind of stuff. It helps. Don't forget to uh, follow the Instagram. It's uh, at Wellscast Podcast. 
All the information about new shows are over there. Don't forget to follow me, at Wells Adams. And yeah, very soon, guys, we're going to be able to go to a show together. I'm going to buy you guys a beer. We're going to watch whoever's on stage. We're going to black out in an Uber, and it's going to be wonderful, and I can't wait for it. I honestly cannot freaking wait for that. Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, yeah. Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. I see ya. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. No worries. I hardly ever use Skype, so I'm always, it's like every time is, is the first time. <laughs> I feel like that's a song title right there. I think we got to use yeah. that. I think Foreigner did it, didn't they? You're right. <laughs> Damn it. Am I in frame good? I can't tell if it's the... Yeah, you're good. Then. Okay, cool. But also, like, I, if this is just a podcast, I don't, like, release the video, so... Oh, excellent. Awesome. I'm glad that you came to this shirtless. That was nice of you. That made me... <laughs> and pantsless. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, so where are you? You in Nashville? Yeah, back, in, back here in Nashville. I haven't left Nashville in so long. Uh, I don't know what traveling is like anymore. Yeah. All right, you ready to do this thing? Let's do it. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.